to Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellet. To set the scene for episode 34, imagine you're in a race car. Picture how the seatbelt feels across your body. Listen to the crowd getting riled up in the bleachers around you. Feel the scratch of the seat below you and the shape of the gear shift. Smell the rubber of tires, the sickly sweet fuel. Now, shift that car out of park. In an instant, your world narrows to just the expanse of track ahead of you. So many left turns. How do you focus as the cars spring to life around you? For today's guest, Christian Rose, this is a weekly occurrence. Rose's love of NASCAR began at a young age. His family loved Jeff Gordon, and Rose watched racing every weekend on his television in Martinsburg, West Virginia. When a 10-year-old Rose's family traveled down to Daytona, he suddenly found himself sneaking past Daytona International Speedway security in hopes of seeing one of his racing idols up close. So they had fan zone tickets. So a fan zone ticket would allow you down on the infield, but it would not give you garage access. Garage access. So basically you could see the drivers, you could see them walking through, but you had to buy a specific pass, to, which is called a hot pass or a cold pass at the time to get into that garage area. So I went to where the media center was, knowing where the drivers were going in and I just saw that there was no security guard sitting at that gate and I decided to walk right in that gate and I had my head down and as I was walking into that gate, I was like, man, this is working. And I just kept my head down and once I got past and got into a little bit of the crowd, I was like, wow, this actually works. So I actually got kicked out after that. I, I walked up and I was like, can I walk on the pit road? And the, and the security guard was like, can I see your hot pass? So I was like, I showed him my fans and he's like, that's not a hot pass and kicked me out. So I walked right back around to where I knew that security road was, it was and walked right back in. So I knew not to go back towards Pitt Road, but that's how that kind of came about. Rose met Jeff Gordon Jr. during those moments, but all too soon, he was being whisked back to the fan zone with his family. That's all it took for him to get addicted to the process, though. Once we went to Daytona that year at 10, I continued to go to Daytona um, every year for the July race, and that used to run on 4th of July every year. So we would make a full family vacation out of going to Daytona. The mom and dad and Katie, who weren't race fans, they would all end up on the beach, and I would be at the racetrack. Um, so... As I figured out how to get hot passes and get in the garage the right way, um, I met somebody, uh, his name is BJ McLeod, and, and his crew members basically gave me an opportunity to come out and drive the race car. So I, I got so excited, I came back to mom. I'm like, hey, this is, this is the opportunity. This is what I've been waiting for. This is going to be awesome. And mom was like, you're going to finish college out. You're going to go get a degree. You're not going to do this. We're going to stick with baseball. So stuck with baseball. And then we're sitting on the couch in the summer of 2018, and we're watching the race. I'm like, mom, you know, baseball I, I feel like I had a pretty successful career getting to play at the division one level but if racing would have been an opportunity I think that would have planned out and worked out for me better and she was like you know what call BJ back and see if that opportunity is still there on the table I did and we showed up at Hickory Mirror Speedway it was my first time ever in a race car in a super late model um, and they brought Matt Tipped out who was I believe fifth in the points at the time in the Xfinity series and we he shook the car down and we ran, I think, four or five tenths off his time. It was my first time ever in a car. And they were basically like, this is supposed to be just so you had fun, but OK, you can drive a little bit. So let's go see what you can do with it. Rose, who up to that point had been pitching for the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, immediately found parallels between the focus it takes to relief pitch and driving a race car. Everybody teaches you that baseball is a sport of failure, right? So you fail seven out of ten times in the big leagues and you're in the Hall of Fame. So it really teaches you, I think, a lot of things about life, a lot of aspects about all kinds of stuff that failure is acceptable. It's going to happen. 
it's what you do in those moments and how you prepare to come back from those moments. It's really the, what defines you from anybody else. And that's what separates good baseball players from great baseball players or, or any other sport is, is everybody fails. I don't care who you are. You, you find a way to fail and you should be excited about the failure. That's, that's one of the things that I, I've taken in the racing world because life is not this game that everything's going to go your way. So if you can find a way to persevere through the, the hard moments, then the, the reward at the end of that's going to be way better or greater. So that's kind of where, from a release standpoint, that got something put into me is like, you know what, you got, you're going to have to be tough. You're going to have to be strong out here. You haven't pitched this level before. You're going to face batters that are way more talented than you've ever faced in your career. Like we played schools like Duke, Pittsburgh, Georgetown, and, and honestly knowing that I can go out there and just do the best I can. And if I fail, it's okay. And what can I do to prepare to come back and be better from that? I tell everybody the difference between baseball and racing is if you give a home run up, you get the baseball back and you need to go back to work. You make a mistake on the racetrack, one mistake, you slam the fence, the car is destroyed and, and your night's over. So it's a very um, different process in racing. Um, I still think failure is a huge part of it because even if you look at the top drivers on the Cup Series, Kyle Larson's won five times this year. They've run 27 races through last night. He's won five out of 27. So I'm, I'm not the best at math. Somebody can do the calculating there and tell you what the percentage is there. If I had a calculator, I would. But the, the odds of winning a race are very difficult at, at any level, whether it's late models, ARCA series, and through the ranks, you know, there's 40 cars out there on any given night that can go out there and win the race. So it's uh, still the aspect of understanding that you're not going to win every time. It's what can you do? You have a car, you know, sometimes you know that you're going to do really well in, and you have you, the car is not set up the way it needs to be sometimes and you struggle and it's finding a way to make the best of that situation and get the most points and max out for those opportunities. In 2018, Rose and BJ McLeod Motorsports partnered up to get additional exposure for Rose's talent. He began competing in late model racing, utilizing newly manufactured models in regional events. So on a typical late model weekend, we'll try to show up to the racetrack in the morning. We'll get some, they'll have like a couple hours for, we call it testing, which is practice. So we'll, we'll go out there and Bruce and, and the guys in the shop will roll the car off and, and we'll go out there and just try to, they take me to a different track pretty much every time. So basically I'll go out there for my first run and just try to learn the track, try to find my break points, throttle points, where I should be at, get, get a good basis and we'll pull back in. We'll debrief on it for five, 10 minutes, let the car cool down. And then we'll go into, okay, we're gonna go out here and try to run a little bit quicker here, or we need to back you down a little bit. And then we'll go into, okay, we need to change springs or, or make a wedge adjustment or whatever that might be on the car to make the car either, when we talk loose, that means the car is out of control. When we say the car is tight, that means the car won't turn. So those are two of the big guidelines that I can give feedback to to the race team. Like, okay, the car's turning too well. I need you to stop the car from turning too much because I can't get the throttle down. Or I need the car to turn more so I can get the throttle down harder and sooner exiting each end of the racetrack. So after we roll out of that, there'll typically be some downtime. We'll grab some lunch. And then they have the track will set aside like about a two hour period where it's 15 minute intervals of rotating practice. So it'll be like four or five divisions there. So each car or each division will go out and get 15 minutes and then we'll go get a baseline off of that. And then typically we'll run into qualifying. Qualifying is where you'll tape the nose off, cool the car down as much as possible. And you basically make a bonsai run. It's two laps as hard as you can go. And that's going to set your where you start for tonight on, on the racetrack. So the fastest guy qualifies first and then on down. And some of these tracks invert. So then they'll take the 
they'll let a fan pull a, a ball out of a hat or, or a piece of paper out of a hat. And if it says sixth, and the sixth place car will start first, and the first place car will start sixth. And they'll do that to make it interesting because the fastest car will have to drive through the field and come to the front. Um, so typically after qualifying the national anthem, the prayer, and then it's whatever we line up for the division. So we might race first, we might race fourth. So it changes on how you mentally prepare for that event because if you race first and it's like you're going right into it, if you're racing like fourth that night, it might be two hours before you get into the race car and race. So it's trying to find out what to do in that in that downtime to stay prepared, to stay focused, to get ready to race car and go compete. His days quickly went from arm warm-ups to stock car tune-ups, but the underlying mental aspect only slightly shifted. Right. So I had a coach that was at UMES. His name was Coach West, and, and he really pounded in our head to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. So that's something I've really tried to take into the racing world because I've been uncomfortable a lot because I, I don't I've not done this my whole life. So the first year I really struggled with being uncomfortable. And then I, I called him up and we've had a lot of conversations on this stuff. And it's like, dude, you just got to start being comfortable, with not being comfortable. And that's I sometimes I just remind myself like it's OK, we're going to be all right. And we're going to stick to our game plan, whatever that might be for tonight and and go apply it to the race. So just trying to keep reiterating that to myself and that keeps me calm and, and ready to go. We have a game plan and, and my crew chief will tell me what that game plan is before the race. If it's a new track, we'll basically set aside, okay, our goals for tonight are go run all the laps, keep the car clean, and let's stay on the lead lap. And then when we come back to this racetrack, we'll go try to compete for a top 10. And then the next time we'll try to compete for a top five. And then hopefully the third or fourth time we're back there, we're up there fighting for a win or battling up front. And that's basically just knowing what a game plan is for the weekend, how to approach it, how to how to execute, and then we go from there. So. That's pretty much where the focus is. It's like, okay, I know what my job is. I know what I have to do. And that keeps me more focused than anything. Partnering with McLeod's team was a perfect fit from the jump. And it began not too far from home. So it was a family friend that had a huge company out of um, Rockville, Maryland. And we um, went down to Ocean City, Maryland. And we basically sat down in his um, ocean condo. He, he asked me what my dreams and aspirations were. And I, I tell anybody, you know, when, when I started racing I don't think if you have high goals you shouldn't be doing what you're doing so I, I told him my goal is to be a cup series champion one day and um I think that kind of took him by surprise it takes everybody by surprise when I say that. I don't have the experience I haven't done this my whole life I didn't start in go-karts when I was five years old but that's my goal and and whatever it's going to take to do that that's what we're going to try to figure out how to do so um I think he really really liked the enthusiasm and the passion I showed for the sport we took him to Dover, we showed him around the racetrack, showed him what the opportunity looked like down the road. And um, he bought into us and, and paid for me to go race Speed Weeks in Daytona um, in 2019. Rose's first sponsorship became a turning point in his life. It also reaffirmed to his family that their son was onto something. Mom was um, very encouraging. I, I kind of was blown away on how encouraging she was on it. And racing, for anybody who doesn't know, is a very, very expensive sport. So. It's um, you either have to have sponsors or know somebody that, you know, can help you out a lot because that's that's ultimately what it takes nowadays to, to be a good race car driver because you have to be on the track a lot. So um, she was very encouraging. She's helped me a ton through my career financially and, you know, mentally and, and being able to allow me to do this. And I'm very grateful for that. And, and there's I can go through a whole list of people already. You know, I listened to Jeff Gordon's Hall of Fame speech a couple of years ago, and, and he was up there on the podium talking. And he's like, if I spent or tried to spend the time to thank everybody in this sport that gave me an opportunity to allow me to get there. He's like, if one person wasn't there, I don't know if I would be where I am today. And 
I'm only three or four years into this and I can relate to that because there are so many people that have given me an opportunity that have allowed me to do this. Um, and mom is probably the number one person in that. So uh, just having the support from your family and knowing that, that they want this for you just as much as you do is very, uh, very humbling experience. Rose's first late model race at New Smyrna Speedway in Florida. He finished 15th out of 24 on January 5th, 2019. Think of late model racing as being akin to a minor league farm system. Baseball players stay within the ranks and work their way up until they reach Major League Baseball. The same process exists with the late model to NASCAR pipeline. So for somebody like me who doesn't have a lot of experience, it kind of teaches you a host of different skill sets, um, tire management. You know, it's not like a NASCAR race where you get four or five sets of tires throughout a weekend. Typically, you know, of an 150 lap race, it might be one set of tires you get. You might get to come down and change right sides halfway through, depending upon upon that weekend. So it teaches me how to manage my equipment, how to learn a race, because it's something I'm still learning to do is, is how to be around other cars. Like we're fast everywhere we go, it seems like in practice. Um, but building up how to be around other cars, how to set people up to pass, how to do those things. So when we get to the, the NASCAR ranks in the next levels, that it, it it's secondhand nature to be able to do that. So Late model racing is, is a good foundation. It's grassroots racing. It's something that's very important to the sport because everybody pretty much, you know, that's come through the sport has done some sort of grassroots racing, whether it's, it's dirt racing, late models, go-karts, you know, they're, they're involved in the community tracks and everything. And, and those tracks struggle now. They, they get fan bases and everything. You see a lot of these tracks closing down and it's pretty sad, but these are the roots and, and the foundations of what build what you see on TV. So anything we can do to help local tracks or whatever get out there you know that you know you see these tracks try to bring in the bigger drivers and stuff to try to build that brand and everything but it, it's just a community you see a lot of the same people at these tracks and it just helps you get ready for the next level only a few months later in 2020 cook racing Technologies signed on to sponsor his continuation in the late model racing industry a huge thing is being able to not be afraid to reach out you're never going to know if you don't reach out so sponsors don't come to you you're going to have to make the phone calls, the emails, and, and somebody like me who um, doesn't necessarily have the financial backing to go race at the top levels on the, on the experience, we have to go out and, and talk to companies and brands and, and really show them a different side and approach it different than a lot of other people and show that our story is different. So I think it's trying to find a niche nowadays of what separates you from the hundred other late model drivers out there that are trying to make this a career in, in the NASCAR world. So. That's what we worked with Orion Strategies and a lot of people on is, is trying to build a brand and build a story that is different and, and wants to get a company excited to come out and help us and show that, you know, we're going to represent their brand and company at the best and the most exciting level we can and showing that us as a brand is different than anybody else out there. Typically, you'll see a sponsor come in for a race or two and then you'll you'll see, you'll try to get them to like it. Um, you, you look at brands like so jeff gordon was my idol growing up and he had dupont which then later became exalted and they stuck with him from 1992 i want to say till 2015 when he retired so there are brands out there that that stick with a driver for their whole career and there's brands that come on for one race and they're like you know what this this was fun but it's just not for us so it's, it's just trying to find the right company and a balance of somebody that likes racing that wants to be involved in the sport you look at somebody like johnny morris of bass pro shops and They've been involved as long as I've watched watched the sport and they help multiple drivers out. So it's it's all about trying to find a company and a brand that that likes you, that likes your story, that wants to be with you through all this and, and thoroughly enjoys the sport of racing as well. 
As a new addition to the racing world, Rose found it difficult to reach out to sponsors and make friends. He toes a fine line between cultivating relationships and representing himself in the best way possible, in a sport that is distinctly individualized. I think what's different for me is that I'm still meeting new people and still learning people in the industry. Um, obviously, I didn't build those 20-year relationships from the time I was four years old till 24 or 23 when I started. But I think I, I'm starting to learn the, what I need to do to, to really fit in. But for me, fitting in and I'm trying to find the best way to word it. I want to fit in, but the part of me as a competitor, you know, doesn't want to become best friends with everybody on the racetrack because you're competing with them every week. So. I think you see a lot of these guys that get too friendly with guys nowadays and it affects their performance on the racetrack and how they race people and how they, they are might be a little too worried to rough somebody up that that's their friend, you know? So I think there's an aspect of keeping friendships, but also understanding that come down to crunch time that all friendships go out the window. In an industry where sponsors may only stay with a driver for a race or two, Rose finds himself attempting reinvention to stay up to date with what has worked for more experienced drivers. A huge component of sponsorship and having people invest in you and is basically trying to get them to invest in you. You know, you don't want, obviously they want to invest in the sport, but really when you're investing in racing, you're investing in the person. So trying to show them that you're going to represent them the most. And I think we do a good job of really marketing um, ourselves, being involved in the community. Like we just partnered up with the Boys and Girls Club. And in doing so, every lap we run, a sponsored lap, we kick $5 back to the Boys and Girls Club. And it's showing that, you know, we're, we're willing to give back to the community. We're willing to do outreach and whatever they want. So building those relationships is a huge factor. Um, you, you look at drivers like Eric Almarola, who has really built a very good brand with Smithfield. And, and they've stuck with him wherever he's gone throughout his career. And it's because the company really likes who he is a per, as a person. So it's, it's building that camaraderie and really trying to, just make those relationships and friendships and then it makes the racing a lot more fun and it makes the partnership a lot more fun. So basically the way teams lay it out is there's at the top level, there's 36 races. We might lay out for next year, 15 races at the top level and then late model race, 10 or 15. So when we go to a sponsor, we'll say, okay, here's what we have on the table. Here's what we're able to do. Are you guys interested in, in covering these races? And, and they'll come to us with, okay, we're going to give you X amount of dollars and we'll plan that out on what races they want to be local marketed to, to their company or where they want to be at. And then I'll go to my race owner and we'll, we'll put together those races. And if there's 10 or five or whatever left, then we'll go try to find another sponsor that's willing to cover those races. So you can have one sponsor that covers everything, or you can have 10 different sponsors to cover 10 different races and then smaller scale sponsors to cover some of the late model stuff. So you could have one primary sponsor or you can end up having 15. It just comes down to what the funding is and what level they're wanting to go um, race at. Even though finding people who believe in him is stressful enough outside of the track, once he's in his car, Rose has nothing on his mind, intentionally. I think the adrenaline you have in the race car and, and everything that's going on, you don't have time to think. And I think when you can take things out and, and not really think about things, that's where you see, you listen to the greatest athletes, and they talk, the more you think about things, the more it kind of messes you up. So I think in racing, you have to just go. There's really no time to sit there and think about what's going on or happening around you. you. You're in the moment and it's something that forces you just to be in that moment. You know, it, it, there's really not a lot of time to, to second guess or to, you know, cross yourself up on what you're doing. You just have to do it. I think that's the most exciting part about doing or, or racing is 
you just feel alive. Like when you're on the pace laps and everything, I, I think that's where your anxiety might hit more than anything because you know, like that adrenaline's going. It's like, okay, we're about to, to sail it off in a corner here at 100 miles an hour side by side. Once that happens, that's all out the window. It, it's pretty much just go. And then the last thing you're thinking about is being worried about being side by side or, or sideways around somebody. It's just doing what you're supposed to do. Rose finds that localizing his thought process not only to the track and the race themselves, but also down to his proprioceptive tendencies, helps to ground him before a race. Visualizing yourself in the race car, doing what you're trying to accomplish for that, that next day. Breathing techniques are a huge thing. I've learned to kind of slow my heart rate down. Like before qualifying, I probably am the most anxious because that's probably the hardest thing in a weekend to do is to go on cold tires and just leave pit road and get up to speed and just get after it as hard as you can go for two laps. You're out of control. And it's all about hitting your marks to a T to, to be able to put a good lap time down. You get two laps and there's not a lot of room for error in those two laps. So breathing techniques on like counting down, like one of the sports psychology books, I can't remember the title of it right now. I wish I could, but um, it's a guy that basically talks to all the top athletes and everything on, on what they did to help them. A Rob Ken Griffey Jr. He worked with a ton, host of, host of big time names on what he did to help them. But it was, uh, basically I used a breathing technique of slowing my breath down and counting. So I'll count that for three, two, one, when I exhale, take a deep breath and do the same thing. So I think that really helps calm me down a little bit pre-qualifying. Um, but that's really just about all I do from that aspect in, in a race weekend because everything happens so fast and you really don't have too much time to think after that. Outside of his mental workouts, his physical workouts are equally as regimented and intense. So I, I do a lot more weight, weight style training, weightlifting. I, I work with a CrossFit gym down here and I do more personalized training for me. Um, but you see a lot of these drivers, they do long bike rides or a lot of cardio work because inside of a race car, at, at the peak of any race, you can get it to be 120, 130 degrees inside of a race car. So I tell people all the time, I tell drivers that they're not athletes that try doing a full workout in a, a hot sauna. And that's pretty much what it what it's like for three hours or whatever the, the duration of that race is. It's very excruciating. It's very, it, it wears you down mentally, physically, and every aspect of it. So there, there's a huge component in being physically fit and ready and having a mental toughness to do it just as much as any other sport. So. You, they, one interesting thing that NASCAR has been doing has been putting heart rate monitors on the drivers the last couple of weeks. And it's very, very cool to watch. They've, they've been showing somebody like Denny Hamlin. His heart rate stays around 90 beats per minute, which is pretty, pretty insane to be going 190 miles an hour racetrack and keep your heart rate that low. And they show other drivers and theirs are around 140. So they, they talked to Denny. I was listening to the broadcast last night and he basically reiterated that he's been studying the data and showing that he believes if he can keep his heart rate down throughout the race, that it allows him to be more mentally sharp and, and prepared towards the end of the race versus some other drivers on the racetrack. So those are all aspects of the data and everything. The, the, the data that teams get back now is insane on, on where they can show you on everything that's happening with the race car versus what you're doing in the race car. It's pretty crazy. Rose has learned that creating a daily structure has helped him be more productive and focused on pushing himself forward toward larger races and more sponsorships. Absolutely. So I, I think um, routine, building a routine in a, in a daily process, um, even if it's not a race weekend, keeping the same routine is a huge thing for me. Um, I try to follow a routine every single day on what I do. So basically, I'll get up and make my bed every morning. I'll eat pretty much the same thing for breakfast. I'll get up and I'll make my phone calls or sponsor calls or emails or whatever is set for that morning. Show up to the race shop, put some time in at the race shop, um, Get try to help the guys get the car ready for wherever we're going to race. And then hitting the gym and then winding down for the afternoon. So 
it, it's hard to keep a routine on race weekend because every race, race weekend is different in its own way. But I really think there is a foundation of building a routine and, and keeping and following the same routine that helps prepare you for anything in life. So I really am a big firm believer in keeping a strong routine. I'm a personal believer in that the mental aspect in anything you do in life is very important. Um, whatever you do to set your day up, like if it's starting by making your bed in the morning, whatever it might be, that's a huge component in the being mentally ready to take on the day. So whenever we're going in the late model race, I do whatever I can to prepare, watch film, lean on my teammates, lean on my crew chief and everything on, on what we can do. And then I sit back a night before and there's a couple of books I've read on talking about breathing techniques and, and mentally preparing, like mentally visualizing yourself doing something before you do it. So I'll take 30 minutes before the night before or whatever and sit there and close my eyes and just think about what I'm going to do, how to prepare for it. If I'm in this situation, what, you know, how to operate around it or work around it. And I think those are huge aspects that any athlete or anybody should do because it's mentally there's a huge component in any sport of it. I, I think it was Yogi Berry said baseball is 90% mental and 10% skill. And I think that's pretty much any sport. You have to be mentally ready and prepared for any anything that's thrown at you because not everything's going to go your way like we talked about earlier. And it's what can you do in those scenarios to make it better? I really study athletes like Tom Brady, like Derek Jeter. Um, listen to the stories of Jeff Gordon and those guys on what they did that separated them. Because if you look at athletes, to me, in any aspect, like there are athletes that could have been Tom Brady. There are athletes that could have been Derek Jeter, but they had all the skill, but they didn't do the right things to prepare to, to be the, like Tom Brady or any of those guys. So what separates them is well, I really try to dive into their stories and see what they do that makes them different, what separates them from the field. And that's something I think is a huge component of anything is trying to find, if you want to be the greatest, like watching what people do to be great. What do the greats do? And if you can learn and try to figure out, obviously they're not going to tell you all their secrets because that's what makes them great. But if you can learn and watch and analyze them, I think that helps a lot in, in whatever you're trying to do. If he's not in the right headspace, getting into a car going 130 miles an hour could end disastrously for not only Rose, but his fellow drivers as well. One second too early or late on the decision could send him careening toward the wall, losing control of everything, and potentially creating a life-altering situation on the track. The 2020 Daytona 500 was the scariest thing I think I've ever witnessed. It was uh, Ryan Newman's crash. Um, it was a very brutal crash. He had he was 200 yards away from winning the Daytona 500 and on restrictor plate, restrictor plate racing, like the only way to really stay up front and, and keep control of a race is to throw some heavy blocks. So, you know, he was getting pushed to the checkered flag and he got turned sideways and got turned around in front of 40 cars coming toward. So he hit the wall and, and the car went airborne. And, and when it went airborne, it came down driver's side window and he got hit right in the driver's side window. And you saw the whole chassis of the race car bend and that moment um, of seeing all the safety crew around him and seeing tarps go up around the race car, it was like, I don't know if he, he survived that wreck. And the modern technology of how well NASCAR's implemented safety and everything allowed him to walk away from it. He walked away with, I believe, just a concussion, some bruises, but it knocked him out. But, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I can't say that we would have saw him walk out of that race car. So that was very scary, but it's something drivers don't think about. You know, you don't really think about getting hurt. You don't think about the consequences of what happens you know you you know what can happen but you don't really think about it so thank god nascar's built safe race cars and, and they allow us to have a, a safe office to work in and in the best terms but um it, it's just very 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 protected now so along with creating stronger cars 
NASCAR has also put extensive funding into the likes of improved speedometers and monitoring systems to track every aspect of the car's functioning, along with the aforementioned heart monitoring software for the drivers. At the top levels now, like they can hook a computer up to the race car and throughout the race, they can show where the leader is getting back in the throttle, where he's hitting the brake and how he's able to, if you're running 15th, show the data on where, okay, he's in the throttle a car length quicker than you are. And he's able to carry his speed for this much longer down the back stretch or the front stretch. The, the technology, I, I think there was a huge swing back in the 90s where they went from teams of people who just worked on race cars. So now where you see every crew chief in the sport now is basically an engineer from a, a top university. And it's taking that technology that they go to the wind tunnel and, and dyno and basically being able to look at this, the data on a computer and show where that race car needs to be at and they can adjust on that race car and make that happen. So. Technology has become a huge aspect of the sport um, for pit stops, every every aspect of racing. You see it becoming more and more techno technologically involved. So it's having to be able to, it's not just showing up and driving a race car. It's being able to study data, get in the simulator and put the time in on the simulator. And all these things add up to performance on the racetrack. Top level engineers haven't been the only positive influence on the racing industry. In fact, Rose finds that most pit crews are actually comprised of former Division I athletes. If you turn on a, on a NASCAR race on any given weekend and you watch these pit crews go to work, all these guys are former Division I athletes for the most part. They go recruit football players, baseball players, whatever sport they might have come from, somebody who wasn't going to go pro but was very close to doing so. And the reason they've done that is because of the mental aspect and the physical aspect of playing a top-end sport. And they can teach these guys how to do pit stops at the top level. And it's a very very crucial part of the sport because it's a team sport so if you have a slow pit stop and you lose five spots on the last restart the chances of winning that race are very slim if there's 10 laps to go and you lose five spots off the end of pit road then you're probably not going to win the race so i think you see a lot of racers and a lot of race teams and organizations go try to find athletes because of what athletes bring to the table there's not a lot of that in racing so i, I can think of only a couple that are in the sport right now that were former college athletes but i think that they are just as prepared as anybody else has raced their whole life because they, they've been through the ringer. They know what it's like to compete at the top level. I think there's a, it, it's the same aspect of being on a team. Like the guys that we see at the race shop that I see every day, I've, I've become good friends with them and it's because we're, we're together a lot. So I think it's whether you look at anybody from, you, talk, you listen to like former Navy SEAL squads or, or anything else, when you're with people that much, you're, you learn to lean on those people. You learn to, to trust those people and being around them. So I think that is the same as any other thing in life or team or work environment. I'm sure if you work with the same amount of people all the time, you build camaraderie with them and you trust them and it, it's a lot easier to do your job. So I think there's the same aspect in that as sports, um, racing, whatever it might be, is that if you have a core amount of people or a group of people around you, that it, it allows you to focus and be better at what you do because you trust the people around you. That strong team environment, where roles are clearly executed and everyone is on the same page, may even last multiple decades. It's different. So back in the 90s, we really saw like an, an older generation, and I call them old, but it's not old. But you're talking 40-year-old guys driving race cars or getting their break in their late 30s. And to where we saw, I think Jeff Gordon really changed the sport. He came in as a 20-year-old and, and took the sport by fire, and, and every owner was looking for the next Jeff Gordon. And... For a 20 year career, we, we see drivers from 20 years old now race till they're 44, 45 years old. So that's the possibility for somebody like me at 26. I don't really know where it'll be. It, it really relies on funding and the, the ability to do your job at the best you can do it. Um, 
but you see drivers around the sport for three, four, five years, and then you see drivers around for 20 years. It really just depends on a lot of aspects between funding, performance, what you're doing on and off the racetrack to represent your brand and the company. Um, there, there's just a lot of different aspects that go into it, but there's drivers now that are, are 17 years old, 18 years old, competing in one of the top three series in NASCAR. And then if you go down to late model ranks, like you can race against guys that are 14, 15 years old. And it's just a very different, um, it's different for everybody, I would say. 26-year-old Rose isn't anywhere near leaving. He's continuing the 2021 season this week with his ARCA Racing Series debut on Thursday, September 23rd at the Bull Ring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. The race begins at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Christian Rose Racing has also unveiled a new close-to-home partnership, the West Virginia Department of Tourism. Let's go Mountaineers! Thanks for tuning in to episode 34 of Closer Mentality. As always, I'm your host, Julia Mellett. You can follow Christian's Racing on Instagram at Christian Rose Racing. And if you like the stories that I've been telling on this podcast, give Closer Mentality follow as well at Closer Mental. You can also watch Christian and I's entire interview on the Closer Mentality Uncensored YouTube channel. It's linked in the show notes. If you have a story you'd like to tell, send us a direct message. I love getting to tell these, and next week I bring on Lisa Bontasumi, who currently works with Major League Soccer's Oakland Roots as a sports psychologist. But until that time, see you next week.